Blog Talk Radio. Tune in to the hottest sports talk show on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. Join us weekdays at 7 p.m. Stories about players and coaches of all levels. We make it easy to talk sports. Welcome to the second half of Never Had It So Good Sports Talk Radio um, tonight. Again, thank you to Coach um, Guy um, Holiday for being on. Um, he was brutally honest, Coach Duck. He opened up comparing the national championship with the Mountaineers and USC, and he closed with it, Duck. I like him. Uh, Preston, I'm glad Come you on. did. <laughs> he was awesome. He was awesome. For sure. <laughs> Tonight, <laughs> Father's Day celebration, and we're going to get um, Coach Donald Hill Ely in here. Um, Coach Joe Susan could not be with us, and then Coach Clay Jennings is going to join us momentarily while we wait on that. Duck, let me just ask you your thoughts about the Heat um, uh, actually leaving Denver with at least, um, you know, taking care of one, getting one there. Your thoughts about that? Wow, then they flip it. I, I mean, it was a, a very good game. And, you know, it was brought up, uh, Steve Kerr brought up some interesting uh, commentary today uh, talking about that defense that they used out of the zone. It was not just a regular zone defense. It was like a variation of man zone, and they kept them off balance. You know, had Jokic mm-hmm. doing stuff, turning the ball over like like, I haven't ever seen him turn the ball over before, and he was missing some close-in shots. And they kind of stifled Murray, you know, in the fourth quarter, you know, especially towards the end. And, uh, wow, they, I, you know, it's, they're just so hard to, to read because they, they're not as talented as some no. of the other teams play very well together, and they have that never-die attitude. They do have that never-die attitude, and, and and they don't seem to have the talent to match up with, with Denver, but they are. Um, and you got to give Spolstra some credit, and also just the front office of franchise, Pat Riley, you know, I, I see Alonzo Mourning. You have to think that the strategy that Pat Riley is sticking his head in the door and said, hey, let's try this, but Spolstra has come a long way, and he's earned that spot where he is. Um to, to to be one of those coaches now that that knows how to do do well and to to have a good strategy. Yeah, he's. I mean, I, we want to see exactly how well Malone and the players adjust to him going yeah. off on them because some some guys you got to know who you can scream and holler at or curse out. You know, even though I wasn't into the cursing part of it, but you got to know who you can raise your voice to and get the best out of them, everybody you can't, can't, you know, can't treat the same. 
Exactly, exactly. You can't. And I think part of being a coach is learning how to motivate each player in their own way with their own style. I was one of those players too. I didn't, I didn't respond well to all that yelling and cursing. I, I couldn't have gone into the military. I, I didn't, I didn't like that in your face. Now, um, as as Coach Holiday said, if I'm not doing well or if I suck, let me know and I'll improve. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say all of that other stuff. We're still waiting on um, Coach Jennings and Coach Ely. Do you want to check on them, or you know they're going to be yeah. here? We can continue. Uh, okay. Did Tim make it back on? No, sir. Tim, Tim is not back on either. Okay. Uh, and, and and Guy Holiday said, Tim Prince, I apologize for it. <laughs> <laughs> he apologized. It was – he heard me laughing. I mean, he was him, he was authentic. For sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we'll take a small break here, Duck, and you can go check on our okay. guests. Never All had right. it so good sports talk radio. We're going to take a small break and come back on the other side. We are celebrating. Um, we're celebrating fathers this month. Um, as Duck said, we should do this every month, but no, no, we're just going to hang it on right here. Never had it so good. You're inside. Never had it so good sports radio with Princess Cooper, Tim Moore, David the Duck Riley, Jason Collins. Shoshana Cook, Brittany Jones, Travis McGee, Eric Scott, and Kevin Walker. We make it easy to talk sports. CampLyman.com is an opportunity for my big boys to come get some work. Let's put it all together. We built from the ground up. You know, our cliche is it all starts up front. Once again, start, stance, hand placement, hand separation, get offs, counter moves, a little bit of everything. Polish up those skills before your middle school or high school season began. Just come work on your craft. Once again, CampLyman.com. All right, we're back, but never had it so good. Sports Talk Radio, and this is the top of the hour, and we're going to get Father's Day celebration started here as soon as we get the coaches in. I have Tim Moore with me and Duck Riley. And, Tim Moore, I'll ask you the same thing that I asked Duck, and that is your thoughts about the Heat win last night. Um, all of my Miami friends and, and all of my Miami family send is, uh, you know, Denver and four still intact. What do you want to say now? Welcome to the 305. Your your thoughts. They're talking noise. Um, Tim, your thoughts about the game. <laughs> well, first of all, it was an impressive win, I thought. Um, yeah. They um, they had every right to pack it in because they were down 15 points going in, you know, uh, you know, going into late in the third quarter. And so uh, I uh, I thought it was an impressive win by by Miami. I thought it was a, a bit of a choke job, by quite honestly. By uh, by Denver, uh, in that uh, they have gotten big leads in, in every series they've been in, and a couple of times they have done this and, and lost the lead. So uh, I'm thinking I'm still thinking uh, Denver in five because I think they'll fix this. But I, I give Miami a whole lot of credit. That was a tremendous win last night. Tim, you st- you sticking with them, Tim? Yeah, I'm with Denver. I'm with Denver. Uh, I th- I think they'll get them in five. Okay, okay. Um, one thing before we get the coaches in here, they are in the system. Tim, Duff talked about um, uh, Miami and the mixture of defense, zone versus, you know, man-to-man. 
um, and that they played with Denver and how that may have confused them a little bit. Did you see that too? Yeah, I think he's exactly right on that. Uh, I think I think uh, Eric Spolstra is an he's an exceptional coach to begin with, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I think uh, I think Malone's a good coach too. But but Spolstra's been there before several times in the finals, and um, you know I I uh, I thought everything that they did, you know, from him starting Kevin Love to the mixture of the defenses. Um, when, uh, you know, Denver was cruising a bit, I think it really did confuse him. So I agree with Doc on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so it's 1-1 and headed to Miami now. We're going to welcome in our coaches here. With, again, Father's Day celebration. Dr. Donald Hill Ely, how are you, sir? I'm good. How's everybody? Doing, doing good. Well. Doing well. Doing good. Thank you for being on. Coach Jennings, how are you? Okay, I don't think we still we have him yet. I always yeah. open up that one, and I think that is Tori Martin right there. Um, <laughs> and a shout out to Coach David Jackson who's listening in. I always forget and open up that one. I gotta label that one. Duck, you want to go ahead and get started with, with Coach Ely? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Coach Jennings said he was he was just pulling up to his house. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, uh, Coach, want to talk to you uh, about, you know, just kind of how you got started and did you always see yourself uh, being a coach? Um, you know, I, I played ball at, at Virginia Union um, University, small Division two school uh, for, uh, I guess he's legendary now, Joe Taylor, who ended up getting me into the uh, business. And, um, you know, and at that time, um, I came out in 90, uh, 1990, and it wasn't a, I think we might have had four um, um, uh, African-American quarterbacks uh, that was even in the league at that time. So, And coming from a, a predominantly white school, the um, you know, we had representation in the league, but it normally were a bunch of, you know, defensive back receivers and, you know, things of that nature. So it, it wasn't a lot of opportunity to go forward as far as the next level. And, and not just saying that even maybe I, and even talent-wise, I don't even know if at that time I had the talent to even, uh, you know, pursue that. But I uh, started as a, um, a student, um, student assistant at Union for Coach Taylor and got a chance to uh, be around a person that took the time to give me responsibility. So as a student assistant at a Division two, it gave me a chance to actually have a position. I coached the receivers. It wasn't like some of these GAs now where you just ran and got paper. I had, I had responsibility for coaching a group, which in turn uh, – uh, gave me a lot of responsibility and gave me uh, a lot of uh, knowledge and opportunity to, to be in those rooms with the coaches and coming up with game plans and, and getting things done. And uh, went from there and went with them to Hampton University where I, I further pursued grad assistantship and got my master's before, you know, going to the pros. So it, it pretty much was the trajectory of uh, or the plight of coming in to HBCUs that, um, I, I, my father was an All-American football player there, and I knew I wanted to have a to be around the game. And the way I was able to do that was uh, get into coaching. So, um, you know, I had a great uh, leader with Coach Taylor, who 
uh, early on. I didn't know really what I wanted to do, but I had someone that put me on a, a good track, a good track, and uh, thirty-five plus years later, still going. Okay, uh, and, you, and you said you, you you moved from 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 college right into the pros. Yeah, um, I was in college. Um, I I had this thought when I was at Hampton. Um, it was in 1994, and you know it was some of the same stuff. Everybody was talking about you know the guys not getting a chance to go to the next level because of opportunity exposures and everything. And I, at that time, I was 20-some years old, man, and I put on a uh, combine for the CFL. And because the NFL, you know, they were at their numbers. So I had the, one of the first CFL combines at Hampton University where for a weekend we had 100 and, I don't know, 40 uh, uh, student athletes to come in. And we had all the CFL teams to come in and, and we did everything they did at the combine. We did the weights. We did the on field. We did all the stuff that they did at the combine. And uh, a bunch of guys got uh, picked up by the CFL. And guy Jim Pop uh, wanted to meet the the coach who put it on, and he asked me to show him to him. And when I told him, "You looking at him? I'm the one that came <laughs> up with this and put it on." And he ended up hiring me to go and coach with the Baltimore Stallions. Uh, he, you know, um, you know, liked what how I put things together. It was very impressed by the fortitude that I had with just trying to, uh, you know, bring everything together and end up um, coaching with him and winning some great cups and uh, had a chance to coach up there three, four years in the CFL before coming back um, to the HBCUs and trying to make a difference uh, with with coaching. So. Um, you know, I was coaching pro ball at what, 24 years old and uh, had a you know a great run with coaching Tracy Ham, uh, Doug Flutie, Andre Webb, Marvin Graves. Uh, had a bunch of good ones to come through there. Robert Clark. So had a chance to coach a, a bunch of good guys. And at that time, when I was coaching in the CFL, everybody was older than I was. So all my players, I'm 24, and I had guys in the room 28 and 30 years old. So again another opportunity to um to to make a difference and uh, and to add uh to my to my coaching resume okay uh now how hard you know was it to become a head coach what are some of the steps that you had to go through uh some of uh some of the sessions that you you dealt with as far as becoming a head coach obstacles well you know what it was um uh, at that time, I had set out. And once I decided I was going to be a coach, I wanted to be like the head coach that coached me. I wanted to be like Coach Taylor. I wanted to be able to take a sport and make a difference in men's lives. So it wasn't about just trying to see how many championships you could win. I wanted. To, I knew that if Coach Taylor, with, with what he was doing, he was raising 100 men to be better people, to make a better community, that if I could get 100, now that's 200 men that has a better opportunity and better focus. So I, I became a head coach at Morgan State at 31 years old, but I didn't wait to become a head coach. When I was a GA, I carried myself as assistant coach. When I was assistant coach, I carried myself as an offensive coordinator. When I was a coordinator, I carried myself as a head coach. And and what happens when you start preparing yourself that way, 
you're not you're, when that opportunity comes, and as as we all tell our guys, you know, hard work uh, and and preparation is gonna is gonna meet opportunity, and you have to be ready for that opportunity. And I was ready for that opportunity uh, to take over Morgan State program that hadn't won in 27 years. Uh, had a uh, hadn't had a winning record in 27 years after being dominant for uh, for several decades. Uh, I was able to take that program over uh, in 2001, and uh, and was able to coach there for 13 years and leave as, and still be the third winningest coach in that in that program's history. But not just the winningest third winningest coach. I've had at that time over that 13 years. I've graduated over 300 young men uh, with a college degree. So those are the records uh, that I always strive for is, is was to be able to, to have a program that was about development of men and not not about trying to, oh, he won nine championships, six championships, and that's all part of it because our game teaches winning. But, you know, to be able to be in this profession for 30 years and can look at your list of 700 or more men with degrees, that's the thing I'm most proud of. Okay. Uh, I'm going to jump over here to uh, Coach Jennings and uh, welcome him in. And uh, kind of, Coach Jennings, if you can kind of uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into coaching and if it was something that you always wanted to do. Good evening, Coach. Uh, one thing that uh, I can always say, Matt Simon, uh, who was my college head coach uh, my junior and senior year. I always knew I wanted to coach, um, and I played for Coach Simon here at the University of North Texas in 1994-95, and I just needed uh, a semester to get my degree finished, and he told me he would exchange that semester for me to become a graduate assistant, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, you know, my goal was always – just to go home and coach at my high school. But God had a bigger plan for me. Uh, I sat at the University of North Texas as a student assistant in 96, and I GA'd in 97. And my first full-time job uh, was at Morehouse College. So I always thank, you know, the, you know, Coach Simon, Matt Simon, for getting me started uh, within this profession. And I had a lot of uh, mentors along the way. Uh, you know, the first staff that I worked with was Coach Simon was the head coach. Uh, Fred Blau was the defensive coordinator. Chuck Mills was the linebacker coach. Bill Michael and Eric Russell. And Coach Russell was, had been my position coach. They coached the defensive line. Um, so uh, I had a, there was a lot of knowledge, um, a lot of information that was passed to me a lot of, you know, what's right and what's wrong and, and how to carry yourself as a professional. And, you know, the biggest thing with, that I learned from Coach Simon was, you know, uh, don't let them put you in a box. Um, you know, okay. carry you want, yourself. So, in, yeah, you want to, yeah, explain that to some of the listeners, exactly what he meant by that. Well, the, you know, the biggest thing, and you know, at that particular point in time, we didn't have, anyone of color on our side of the ball, on the defense side of the ball. I was the lone coach of color on the defensive side of the ball. And at that particular point in time, you know, and, and sometimes today, 
you know, you, you get to the point where, you know, hey, they hire you to coach inside, you know, to coach and recruit inside the the, the loop in the city, you know, inside 610 in the city of uh, Houston and inside 635 in the city of Dallas. And Coach Simon, his, his big thing was, you know what, number one, let them hire you because you're the best football coach. Let them hire you because you have an opportunity to be the best recruiter. And you do a great job of establishing relationships. And, you know, it was Coach Simon's uh, decision for me to coach in the secondary and not coach up front because he wanted me to be in a position to be able, you know, to line guys up, be able to coach it from the back to the front. Uh, and not saying that the guys that coach up front, that, you know, that they don't have meaning, meaningful jobs because I think, you know, um, the deep, you know, on the offensive line and defensive line is, you know, where your um, where your program starts because it's just, you know, that's the foundation of who you are. But um, his his vision and his plan for me was a heck of a lot uh, broader uh, than the expectation that I had for myself in the very beginning, and I'm always grateful for that. Okay, uh, Tim. Yes, I heard uh, Coach Ely say something that struck me, and uh, it sort of harkened back to what Coach Holliday was saying in the previous show about how coaches back in the day, uh, for lack of a better way of expressing it, uh, really sort of were more personally involved in the development of young men. And I heard Coach Ely talk about how it wasn't just about CIAA championships uh, when he went there, but that he, he, he learned from his mentor. Uh, the importance of helping to build character and uh, helping to build men. Uh, talk to us, if you would, about uh, the importance of that uh, when you when you approach coaching, that it's not just about the wins, but the importance of, uh, of really sort of teaching these young men much more than just the X's and O's of football. Who are you asking, Tim? Coach Ely first. Okay. Well, you know, a lot of times um... – you know, you look at all the, the sports of the day, and and when you look back at the opportunities that we had, um, and I, and I can only talk from one one lens, and that's being a a, a black man, the opportunities that we've had in sports and what it meant to us to to have chances to play sports. You know, you look at the Walter Paytons and the Jerry Rice. Uh, as you look on the athletic side, but when you come to the other side, uh, you know, during those times, education was, wasn't always afforded to us. And sports became a situation where we got an entry point uh, into athletics and, and into institutions. And, and when, uh, and not only did we, not only uh, was that uh, entry point, it, sometimes it wasn't an exit point. You know, when you start looking at the Shaq Harris's and those guys being the only black on a team or, uh, and, and several others uh, being the only blacks in the league. So you couldn't really just bring your young men, your Eddie Robinsons and guys couldn't bring young men to campus and sell them on the NFL. That was a dream that came later. The, the whole goal of being able to go to school uh, for free or a little or nothing, because not all the time was it free, it gave us an opportunity to educate that male race that normally went to work a war. 
And and by myself coming in in the 90s, I had coaches that still had that upbringing that it was about hanging your pants up on your back. It was about, yes, ma'am, no, sir. It was about being able to put a tie on and know how to tie it and, and, not, and, and, and being dressed for success and not have being dressed to go to court. It, it, it was a situation that your character – was going to be that recipe character and education was going to be that rec- that recipe to for for long for success not just for you but for the family to follow you so i had a chance that when i it, we never talked about my coach never talked about championships he talked about winning but everything that he did he talked about life if he ran to you for being late it was like you know it wasn't you going to be late on a on the tackle no, you was going to be late to a job and you was going to get fired. So we weren't going to accept that. If it was mm-hmm. about your, your uh, not having respect, you get fired for respect. So everything that he did translated over to real life, real world, and being accountable that we wanted men in homes and not um, – not situations where you create situations and now you move to another. We wanted you to be accountable and responsible for those that you have. So that became what I passed along. You know, we say you only can pass along what you see and what you've been taught. Now, and and as I move beyond, you know, a lot of the old the guys that I coach now be like, oh, coach, you you old school man. Uh, you know, you don't have to say yes sir, no sir, no more. But when in Rome as how to do as the Romans do. So that's the only way I know how to do it. So, it, it, it you know, but it, it's a situation where this game has afforded me and so many other men an opportunity to take care of our lives. And we didn't have to make pro on the field, but we made pros in life. And those are the things that um, young guys I got coaching that come from me, they still teach what they still teach in the way that Coach Taylor taught me because that's how they learned it for me. It's the it's the character and the outcome of the individual and not the outcome of what the season they translate. So it's all about the mm-hmm. it's all about the the lens in which the teacher learns. And that's a, that always has been my goal is that I wanted to use this game of football as the my underground railroad. I wanted to get as many men as I can across to education as I could, <laughs> knowing that Coach Taylor was doing the same thing. And when our players would meet, they would be like, man, your coach did that too? And they was like, yeah, my coach did that. I wonder where he got that from. Oh, my coach played for that coach. So it, it became a, a thing that we wanted, you know, while everybody was cheering on Saturday, we were cheering all week because we saw men upright, uh, yes, sir, no, sir, walking across that stage on Mother's Day. And that became our bowl game, was coming out there Mother's Day and seeing somebody say, uh, you know, based on this university, you, you've succeeded and you have this degree or this BA or this BS. Coach uh, Jennings, uh, same question. Uh, we're, we're honoring Father's Day, but uh, what I'm hearing described here is much more than just an X's and O's coach. Uh, you go into the living room of a of a family and you convince their mother and father, uh, sometimes just their mother, depending on the situation that you're dealing with, uh, that you are basically going to be a father to this young man for the next four years. Uh, uh, how do you how do you look at that responsibility? Uh, I think that responsibility. I think you've got to be able to. Uh, a parent.
parent's child is their greatest possession, and you got to treat it as such. Uh, I learned from the guys that I played from, not only um, in college, but also Coach Willie Williams, who was my uh, high school head coach as well, too, at um, La Vega High School in Waco, Texas, is that you got to make sure that you treat, I know it's cliche, but you got to treat them like your own. Um, you know, you, you got to be able to pat them on the back, you know, when they do something good, but you got to be able to, you know, get after that, that tail as well, too, um, when they're, when they're wrong. And, you know, cause ultimately, you know, I, I told a guy I worked for once before, you know, it's my job to make sure that, you know, they know how to act when they go out in public to represent you. Because at the end of the day, they're not going to say, uh, that he played for, uh, Coach Jennings, they're going to say that he played for the head coach. And you want that young man, when he leaves you, you want him to represent you in the best manner possible. Um, you want him to be able to carry himself in circles uh, beyond the dorm room or beyond the cafeteria. You want him to be able to maneuver not only within his own social circle, but within the social circle uh, of the corporate world as well, too you know, to be able to go to a dinner and handle himself and be able to understand that the most important thing is not the meal, but the most important thing is the conversation when he goes for a job interview. Um, Mm -hmm. It's about manhood. (laughs) It's about manhood first. And then we're supposed to create men. Coach Ely, um, you know, we hear a lot of conversation about, uh, you you, you talked a a little bit about the, uh, you know, sort sort of coaching your kids, uh, with the kind of training that you got from your coaches. Uh, we hear a lot of conversation now about the, the difference in the generation of kids that are coming up now and that you can't coach them the same way. But I watched what Dion did down at Jackson State, whether you, you know, agree with everything or not. Uh, my point is that he, uh, I think, struck a chord with those kids uh, and, and showed that maybe this generation uh, of kids – wants to be coached as well. Have you have you found that to be the case uh, in terms of commonality between the generations, that that if you show you care about them, that these kids want to be coached too? You know, as I tell my coaches and, I, and everybody else, you know, care comes before coaching in the dictionary. Nobody cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. You have to show them that you care about them to be able to get them to open up and absorb. You know, it's about that relationship that, that you create with these young people. Uh, when, you know, it, it, not everybody that's coming is almost when you have that, that fatherly love or parent love, not everything that your, your children do is going to make you smile but you can't give up on them in the moments when they don't. You know, you, you have young men to come to campus and, and, and get in trouble. I love those kind of kids to be able to embrace them and change their lives. you got to be able to go to them, and now when they're at their darkest moment, bring them to the light about this is how you do things uh, going forward. So I, I agree with, you know, with a lot of different things, and I don't, you know, I, I know we everybody talks about what Dion was able to do at Jackson, but what was he able to do? Uh, when when you look at true 
true, when you look at true measures, are we saying he was able to he was able to put them in a position where he was able to bring them more to give them a predominantly white experience at a black institution? But the true measure of what was able to do is when you look back at the men that he touched how many of them graduated, how many of them moved to become more productive citizens. And, I, and, and, and as we look at the, uh, the young pop, the new generation, as they call it, it, the new generation, as they say, got they dance to the same old beat that we dance to. They want you to know, they want to know you care, and they want leadership and guidance. Nobody wants, you know, nobody wants a situation where they get in and, and just like everything else, they're going to test you to see how much they can get away with. But when they know it, fire hot on the right side, fire hot on the left side, and hell fire real hot on the back side, that they will then, they will then follow to that beat. Nothing has changed. I, I coach the same generation the same. Now, you can't do all that yelling and all that other kind of stuff. You got to do a little bit more granddaddy, sit down and explain right. to them, but you still know granddaddy and granddaddy going to talk to you and hug you and going to take a little bit more. But when granddaddy come to get you, he beats you for every, for the old and the new. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that, that, that's the thing that you have to do with this new generation. You got to have a little bit more patience, but you still want that same result. Coach Jennings, are you finding that these kids uh, are not resistant to leadership, but they want to be coached too? If if they, if you if you show them that you care about them, oh, they just want they want to be loved first, you know, just like anybody else. You know, they want to be loved first, and then within within the love, I believe it comes the appreciation for uh, not only the game but just life. Um, and I think the, the opportunities that we're afforded are not just to teach these guys X and O's, but to help them become better better friends, uh, better sons, um, eventually uh, better husbands, uh, better mates, and, and better fathers. Um, and, you know, the, I think that, you know, I agree with Coach Ely. I think sometimes, you know, when you get a little bit older, you know, I think you have to be be more creative. <laughs> with your patience and and be more creative uh with your statements and gather shock value to to make sure you hold their attention and right. just like coach Eula said you know you know it's it's not about the yelling and the and the cussing and the fussing but it's about being able to, to be able to reach them and if you can reach them then you can teach them and you know it, it doesn't matter if you know who you are, you know I worked for a guy one time and said, you know what, if if you want to coach him, and if you want to be the only one to coach him, you better get to him first. So, but if you <laughs> if you if you see something, you better say something when you're trying to create a culture of great young men. And I think that's what we have to do in this profession, especially the ones the coaches that look like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me let me ask you this last question, then I'm going to turn it over to Doug. I heard Doug say something about when he went to New Jersey and was coaching high school, and I think he – I don't know if it was a Camden or a Trenton, uh, where uh, it was in a pretty rough neighborhood, and, and there were guys out on the street doing things that guys do uh, and have been doing since the 1920s. I mean, let's let's be real. <laughs> this stuff is not new that's been going on on the streets. And he he had to go out and talk to the guys who were doing things that he didn't want his players doing to let them know that, you know, I'm trying to help these kids and I need you to leave them alone and let them grow. Uh, have you found that to be a, a situation where um, if you are able to uh, to uh, to reach uh, into the neighborhood and develop 
for lack of a better word, some credibility with the people that may be steering them in the wrong direction, uh, that that might uh, sometimes uh, uh, resonate with the kids as well. Kojila? You know what? I, I done sat with the, the Bloods. I done sat with the Crips. I done sat with the Gangsters Disciples. They they all want the same thing. Uh, they, they want uh, people from their neighborhood to have success and feel like they've had parts in it. And and I remember when uh, Duck was up there in Willenboro, uh, you know, right outside of Camden. It it was a little rough area, but uh, it, we all had those little rough areas. But that's that caring. Those coaches that care find a way to 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 engage those distractions that the kids have because they're not strong enough to say no. They're not strong enough to say I'm not uh, going to uh, participate in this and that. But you know, when uh, I, I've had opportunities to go and, hey, hey man, I, I need you to do me a favor, man. Look, I don't care. Look, I understand that y'all got this little hustle going on. I understand what you got going over there. And I can't say one way around about it. But let's give, get, help me help this kid to be a little bit better. Y'all look out for him to make sure he get to practice and that he don't take in, he don't involve in this stuff because he got a chance to make all of us proud. And then he he you know and you guys help me with that. And when you engage those guys, you know people are habits of their what what they've been given. Like I I, I went to talk to one of one of the guys uh, that went to court for selling dope. If you and like I told the judge if. Dope was put in the community, he became a dope dealer. But if you'd have put flour in there, he'd have became a baker. So those <laughs> things that, that <laughs> people are, you can't go and change the community for this is what they've been doing for 100 years. Before all these things, right. there, there were other things that people did to keep the community safe, but now the young people have changed it that it means a whole different purpose. It doesn't mean what it was when the KKK was coming through and we had our little gangs to keep them out. Now we use them against ourselves, but that's a whole other educational piece that we got to change. But in order to show your players you care, you got to go – and you got to go and, and, and have, have drink with the devil and ask the devil for some mercy, too, that I need you to get this kid a pass. I need you mm-hmm. to help me help these kids. And I, I hadn't sat with one different, one different group of those guys that hadn't said, Coach, we got you. When I was at Morgan State, I used to, used to pay for the, the guys that was robbing people. I used to pay for their, their haircuts and buy 40 ounces of beer. That When you see my players walk through these projects, man, I, I had a problem with them robbing my players. And right. so I had to go get with those guys and say, look, man, come on, man. Y'all do me a favor. Man, these kids trying to get an education, and can, can y'all get them a pass? Look, when I come over on Friday, meet me at the barbershop, man, I'm going to pay for your haircut. I'm gonna I'm let you. I'm gonna I'm get you a forty. I'm gonna do whatever y'all need to do for to get them a pass. What the reason that you're doing whatever? Give them a pass. And those kids I, afterwards never had problem. They used to see the kids and they would come tell me, Coach, he was slipping. I had him last night, but he was slipping. I knew he was one of yours. Tell him don't go that way over there. This was going down. Or right. have one of them to get there and get slick. And they say, Coach, man, that little young boy. He let him know now he can't. This is our turf. He ain't gonna be able to do that here. He getting a little slick. I'm able to engage that. We, you know, all that part is teaching. You can't, you know, right. you, you got to understand that you can't take no bear, no bear to a certain place. He's still a bear. So you got to end up engaging them to change them. And 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 in these populations where we have 
we gotta we gotta get out into these populations where and get into these communities where not just the rich, not not just the politics, but into the some of that corruptness and get out there and say, hey, I need a pass. So, uh, hey, I totally understand it, and I that's part of caring when the kids say, man, he said that you told me that I can't hang out with them no more. Yeah, he right. told you right. Yeah. Let's go to work. Yeah, Coach uh, Coach Jennings, uh, uh, I, I've got a pastor friend in Knoxville who uh, took over a church in a pretty rough neighborhood down there, and uh, one of the first things he told me he did was he went down to the uh, the crack dealer's uh, place, knocked on the door, and talked with him for a few minutes. Uh, come to find out the guy had gone to Sunday school at that church when he was uh, a young kid, and uh, he basically just asked him to kind of keep an eye on things. And uh, when, when one of the guys uh, had stole all the flowers out in front of the church and brought it down there trying to get a rock. Uh, the drug dealer made him, made him take the flowers back to the church and, and replant them uh, because of relationship, the kind of relationship Coach Ely was talking about. And I know you are, you got guys like that down in Texas. Uh, you, you know, what, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I think sometimes the kids that, that you coach, they have to understand that, you know, you weren't always Coach Jennings and, and you weren't always <laughs> Coach Riley. <laughs> and you weren't always coach either, you know. And you know that the game doesn't change; only the faces. And um, you know, you got to be you got to be willing to go, like coach said. You got to be willing to go, you know, deal with the devil every now and then. You got to go to certain depths, and then understanding when you're teaching them, you know, that sometimes you know the examples that we learn from are not just the positive ones that we see. You know, you know there there are negative examples that that are out there that you know what that are giving you, uh, you know, red lights and stop signs as far as you know what. If I if I got to think twice about doing something, hey, let me do something different. You know, right. and you know, <laughs> and you got to be able to, uh, you know, you got to be able to, you know, read your keys. You know, not only mm-hmm. in between the lines, but you better read your keys outside the lines as well too, and, and know <laughs> what we're trying to get accomplished. Okay, Coach Riley. Okay, uh, I want to stay with you, Coach uh, Dennis, because the title of uh, what we're doing is, you know, of course, this Happy Father's Day to you guys, but the life of a college coach. So how do you balance the athletic part with the family life? We got well, you got to give, give a little flowers to mom. Well, I tell you what, Coach uh, Coach Riley, our, the wives of of the coaches, you know, uh, they deserve just you know just as many accolades uh, as the head coach, especially the wives of the assistant coaches, because they they're dealing with you know not only the problems that you bringing home, but they're dealing with the problems of you know with the kids, the good and the bad, uh, and they become mothers to. Uh, to the kids that are away from home as well too, you know. Um, you know, I at one point in time, my wife sat between me and one of my players and held his hand during every flight because he was scared to jump on the airplane. So, um, but you know, I've probably moved more so than any a lot of guys in the profession. And I give my wife credit. You know, the only thing she ever asked is when we're leaving and where we're going. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, this, you know, when guys say, you know, they want to be a college coach, you know, I, I think, and Coach Ely will probably attest to it as well, too. 
I don't believe that, you know, you can just see the end game. I, I think people have to be able to see the process and see the means about what what you've done, um, you know, where you've had to go, the depths that you've had that, that you've had to do. Nobody, you know, nobody wants to go work that $12,000, $15,000 job to get started just to stay in the profession. You know, everybody wants, you know, they think that they're supposed to start off coaching at FCS or coaching FBS and make a certain amount of money. Um, but, you know, you don't get in the profession because of the money. Your families are, you know, and once you get to a certain point, you know, you're not enjoying it. You know, you work, go work your tail off so your family can enjoy it, so they can sleep well at night. You know, and and they can reap the benefits of it. You go to bowl games. You know, as a coach, you don't enjoy the bowl games. The the kids and your family enjoy the bowl games. You know, that that's for them. That's their extra vacation. That's the time that they get a chance to spend with you that they normally wouldn't uh, doing while you're preparing for a game. So, to um, so all the mothers, you know, and and the kids, you know, um, that are that have shared their their father. Uh, their parent, uh, with all the the other young men and, and young ladies that that you know are participating in these programs across the country, you know I salute you. Okay, uh, Coach Easley, how do you balance everything? Uh, I I don't even think I've been able to balance. I you know it's <laughs> it's a uh, you know it's a situation where every every situation I've coached. They become my family. I'm. I still. I've had. I don't know. I'm, I'm on my. Uh, my my oldest son. He's uh, with the Panthers now, uh, trying to make that team. My youngest son is in high school, and they become a part of of my team. Like, I right now I have what two players that that I had from the last institution that didn't have a mom or dad that I raised. I had when I was at Morgan, I raised like five guys. When I say raised, they live with me. They they break, they here, they stay here. They uh, they gone on off to life, and oh, you know. And this last little set of guys I have, uh, the Websters, they are now. They didn't graduate from school. One going to Grambling players last year. The other going to Fort Valley. So my family has been included in my plight of 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 changing lives. So my sons have gotten to the point where uh, whenever we get a house, they know we're going to get a four or five bedroom so that we always got room for somebody going to be here staying. So uh, it, it's a situation where uh, uh, God has been good to me where I knew that if it wasn't for the game of football and good men leading me, I wouldn't have had a chance. And I have uh, – and to be able to – uh, to be able to change lives, sometimes it ain't always at the school. You gotta sometimes include those guys here in your ho- in your house. So when I have Sunday dinner, like we used to do as a race, and as a uh, back in the day, it's not just my family eating; it's my players coming over. They still come over and eating and hanging out. So it, it becomes a nucleus that that it never stops for me that the balance becomes the fight that we all in this one thing together. And you got to, you know, my wife, she, you know, cooks for them and and does everything to make sure that not only my uh, biological kids are straight, that she does more for my players that really don't have anything 
you know, she take them, you know, if uh, shopping and make sure that they got clothes that's presentable for when they go different places. So it, it, it's a it's a balance where some days you look up and and you ask yourself, you know, when it's all over, uh, and, and when this thing shut down, you you looking for that next coach that's gonna do the same thing because that problem ain't gonna change. But I look at the the fact that I just want at the end of my race that that, you know, uh, good and faithful servant, you've done well. And I, I want to be able to show through my sons that it's not a, it's not about just taking care of the ones that's in your home that come from the womb. It's about taking care of other people and being able to help as many people as you possibly can. And there really, there really isn't a, a balance. You just, when, you, when you're a giver, you're a giver Monday you, through Sunday. You'll give a you'll give a all the time, and it's and to be able to uh, you know have my sons that understand that that understand that that it's about sharing. That yeah, it's a whole turkey, but that turkey gonna be gone by the time everybody come in. It was a whole uh, pot of greens, but them greens gonna be going on. Cause why do we gotta always have twelve, fourteen people around? Well, those other people that came in didn't have. Uh, that family, that nourishment. But then when I look at these guys, when they've come through my home and they now have their own families and they're doing the same thing, uh, you know, I, I think uh, that the balance is, is right, that when you include them into your life where the players see why, why you, why you invite me to your house, Coach, to eat at your table, to why you invite me to the house so I can wash my clothes, I can even lay my head here at your house. That that helps these guys to as they go on to their next step, regardless whether their job is coaching or being a CEO of a company, to make sure that they carry a little caring with them to help other families. So uh, that's you know the the balance for has been really the patience of my son and my families of joining into my plight. I guess my direction has become everybody's direction. That this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna help somebody. Okay. Uh, last question for you and uh, Coach Jennings, and I'm going to uh, start with Coach Jennings. Uh, kind of take us through uh, a fall season, uh, your winter, and then the summer. So h- how does it all start for you in the fall? Well, you know, the, that first, I want to use about August 1st or 2nd, you know, that's when you actually say goodbye to the family. And, uh, you know, and you say uh, hello to the grind. You know what I mean? It's, this job nowadays, Coach Riley, is 365 days anyway. But, um, you know, in fall camp has changed such. I think sometimes I think it's like, but then like them going to summer camp nowadays compared to the, the three days or four days we used to have way back when, you know, the – the kids they get two two practices and then they had two for two days and then they have to have a day off and you know and I think the NCAA has made um, made a made a template for them not only to uh, have a great mental health but then also for them also their bodies to be as physically fit for for game one but uh, you know you you're looking at about two two and a half weeks of, of just practicing against. Uh, one another, and then that last week and a half, you know, before you you get ready, you get ready to hit the season, and then once that season hits, I mean, you're you're in you're in routine. 
you know, Sunday. Uh, you know, once you get in after church service, whatnot, you get in, grade the tape, um, watch the tape with the young men, you know, go outside, sweat a little bit. Monday, do your game planning. Tuesday morning, you're on the field at 7 o'clock. Wednesday morning, same thing. Thursday morning, same thing. Um, and then, you know, so you, you're in routine for about 12 to 13 weeks. If you're fortunate, you get a bowl game. If You know, if not, then you're trying to go out there and correct the mistakes um, that kept you from, from making a bowl game. And so you get two weeks of recruiting during, uh, during December. This portal has made the business where now, you know, you recruit, you're recruiting not only you recruiting guys in the portal, but you're also recruiting your own players uh, for, you know, during the Christmas holidays as well, too, trying to make sure they make it back for the first day of class. Um, and then, you you know, we go to convention and we get another two weeks of being on the road. Um, the great thing is that February is a dead period now, um, so you can kind of catch your breath a little bit and, and not only – have an opportunity to be uh, back at home, but you also get an opportunity to be back with your your guys, uh, the kids that are on your campus, the reason why we have jobs, because nobody pays money to come see us coach. Uh, they pay money and they donate money to the institution. Um, you know, so these, these young men and young women uh, that are participating in the programs uh, for us and with us uh, have the best opportunity to be successful. And then you know, you're going to have about six, you know, five to six weeks where you're going to get 15 practices in the spring. And as soon as those those 15 practices are over, you're doing evaluating. And, you know, after you evaluate, uh, do your, your exit interviews, you're back out on the road, you know, and, and you're on the road for spring recruiting. And within spring recruiting, if you're having to battle the portal, if you're having to have uh, – official visits for those guys that are in the portal, that those guys making those decisions, you know, it's nonstop. And and then start May 31st, June 1, you're in camps till June, you know, for at least four weeks of June, maybe until the NCAA, you know, deems it dead for the month of July until, you know, till like the last week of July. So um, it's it's nonstop. Okay. Uh, I'm going to change the question up a little bit. For, for for you guys, how difficult if you're talking to a parent because everybody thinks their kids should be getting recruited at this time. How difficult is it for the high school kids? And some suggestions for the parents that might be listening. What should they be doing? Well, you know what the uh, as Coach uh, Jenna stated, man, this uh, this portal has changed the game. It's the it's the fix a flat of uh, of college football, and and what it has done, being that you can go in the portal and recruit a, a whole, uh, basically a whole team. It has a it has a limited the amount of high schoolers that that are really getting in, and um, and 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 for the parents that's out there. Uh, you have to now use that to uh, you have to use that entry to try to help help you out. And like I tell parents all the time, it's all about getting in school. And, and I've told uh, young people before, like, hey, we don't have a scholarship. You don't have a scholarship. You're probably a power five guy, but because the portal uh, teams have already filled the roster. 
So go somewhere and play. Uh, you might can't get into Georgia Tech, but, hell, go to Morehouse, go to Clark, play, excel, and now everybody get in the portal, and now somebody will pick you up through the portal. I mean, it, you have to just – the key is just getting in school somewhere, uh, being able to excel, and now if you think you need to be at another level, if you couldn't get there through high school, go in the portal and end up uh, end up getting through there through the portal. So you have to, if it's going to be a, a entry point, you have to, if you can't get in the way you want to go, then you got to get in that other way through the portal. So sometimes a, a lot of uh, young men will wait and not take the opportunity that they have in front of them, and, and they'll end up with nothing. But the key is just getting in, getting in school. If you got people that's offering you full rides and none of the bigger schools are coming along, get in school. And now once you get in school, if you just think that you still need to be at the other level, utilize the portal and now be re-recruited. So, um, you know, the, the whole key is uh, is that the opportunity for the high school guys is not, uh, it's, it's not a, a, like it used to be where, uh, you, you know, uh, that was the main entry point for our programs. And right now, you, you got some guys get two opportunities before some of these guys get one. Okay. Uh, Princess, you want to come in and close us out, Princess? Yes, sir. Um, thank you all. This was really awesome and powerful just to listen to. Coach Jennings, Coach Ely, we appreciate you all taking time to be with us. Um, happy Father's Day early, and you guys have a great week, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Tim and Doug, thank you very much um, for the for the powerful questions, and we'll see you all tomorrow at 7 p.m. All right, never had it so good. Thank you. All right, you got it.